What a blessing tonight to hear from our youth. Amen. To have your Bibles tonight, would you open them, please, to the book of Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy chapter 31. And tonight we're going to be looking at verses 6 and 7. Many months ago, we began a sermon series entitled Circle of Influence. We were looking at the life of Moses. We were looking at all the different people that God allowed to come into his life people that would influence him, people that would impact him, some positively, others negatively, but all of them would have a hand in shaping who Moses would be, what Moses would do, what Moses would become. And we all know what he became. He became a Hall of Famer for God. Tonight we're looking at the last person in our series that influenced and impacted Moses' life. A man by the name of Joshua. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6 and 7, is the picture of something that's about to take place. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doeth, goeth with thee. He will not fail you, nor forsake you. And Moses called unto Joshua, and said to him in sight of all the people, Joshua, you be strong and of good courage. For you must now go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. Deuteronomy chapter 31, the verses that we just read, and those before and those following, is a picture of Moses passing the baton of leadership to Joshua. Have you ever seen a relay race? And after the runner has run his required distance, he passes his baton to the next runner who will run the required distance, and so on and so forth. Moses is coming to the end of his leadership. His days are numbered not only for leadership but for life. Soon God will take him to the mountain, and Moses will die on that mountain and be buried there, and his body will never be found. And Joshua will become the supreme commander of the people and nation of Israel. Now, I want you to understand something. For 40 years, 40 years, Joshua has served under Moses. He has served under Moses. He has served the people of Israel under the leadership of Moses. Joshua is now about to serve God and to serve the nation and serve the people in the over position. No longer under, no longer low. He's now going to serve God and the nation and the people from the over position, from the high position. 
I want you to understand the principle of leadership if you ever desire to be a leader for the Lord. If you want the Lord to put you on the top, you must first go to the bottom. You must be willing to go under before God will put you over. We don't like to hear those words. We like to start out on the top, but that's not the way God works. He starts everybody who he's ever used at the bottom. And as God learns that he can trust you at the bottom, God will give you responsibility at the top one day. Now I want you to think with me tonight. Why did Moses choose Joshua? Why did God choose Joshua to be the next leader of the nation and of the people? Because remember, there was many leaders. There was many. Some we know of, some we don't know of. I would imagine there were multiple thousands that Moses could have chosen, that God could have chosen. Why Joshua? Well, let's talk about it a little bit. I believe Moses chose Joshua. And understand that when Moses made the choice, it was really God's choice. They chose Joshua because he was a man of conviction and he was a man of courage. When the twelve scouts were sent to examine the land of promise that God said he was going to give to the Israelites, ten of them came back with this scouting report. We can't take the land. It's filled with mighty giants and warrior tribes. If we go into that land, we will be massacred. We will be slaughtered. And not only us, but our wives and our children and our grandchildren. It will be a holocaust. We can't go into the land. We must go back to Egypt. That was the report of ten of the leaders that Moses sent into the land of promise. That was their report. And you know what Joshua said to that report? Because he was one of the twelve. You know what Caleb, his partner, said to that report? Baloney. Nuts. Poppycock. Hogwash. Well, not exactly that. Let me read you the exact words. That was just my translation. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 6 through 9, this is what Joshua said. Exactly. The land which we pass through to search it, it's an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land. And he will give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Let's not rebel against God. Let's not fear the people of the land, for they are nothing but bread for us, and their defense is departed from them. The Lord is with us. Let's not fear them. That was Joshua's report. We can take them. That's not my opinion. That's what God said. Moses, let's go. 
Let's go claim the land of promise. We can defeat the giants. We can beat the warrior tribes. It won't be a holocaust against us. It'll be against them. Wow. What a man of conviction. What a man of courage in the face of a majority report against him. You see, Joshua understood something. If God be for you, who can be against you? The majority report said, surrender, retreat, defeat. But Joshua was not a compromiser and he wasn't a chicken. He was a conqueror. No, he was more than a conqueror. You know how cowards talk? Find out where the crowd is going. Then rush to the front of the line and take credit for leading them. That's how cowards talk. That's how cowards think. Find out where the majority's going. Find out where the crowd's going. And jump in with them and rush to the front and then take credit for leading them. That's not how courageous men talk. Courageous women talk. You know what they say? Find out where God is. And follow Him and give Him the glory. And Joshua was a man of God. He wasn't a politician. He certainly wasn't a compromiser or a chicken. He was a man of conviction. He knew what he believed. He was a man of courage who would speak out what he believed. And he said, God said, we can take it. Let's do it. And that's one of the reasons why God wanted him to be a leader. And Moses, he was unafraid to speak God's truth, even when the majority disagreed with him. But secondly, he was a good follower. He was a good follower. For 40 years, Joshua followed Moses. He followed the leadership of Moses. He supported the agenda of Moses. He followed the orders of Moses. He defended Moses against all the naysayers and the opposition that constantly was rising up against him. Joshua, he followed Moses, patiently waiting on God for his promotion. He didn't try to rush it. He didn't try to force it. He simply followed God's man until God would move that man out of leadership and put him in leadership. Now that's a remarkable thing, isn't it? Leonard Bernstein was asked, what's the most difficult position or an instrument to play in the orchestra or the band? And he said, second fiddle. Nobody likes to be number two. The Robins want to be the Batman. The Tontos want to be the Lone Ranger. Joshua said, my turn will come. 
Until that time comes, I will be loyal and faithful to God's man. And I want you to know that was probably a challenge at times because as Moses was growing older, his mind was not as sharp as it used to be. Can I get an amen? As Moses grew older, he wasn't as strong as he used to be. As Moses grew older, he wasn't as skillful as he used to be. As Moses grew older, he wasn't perhaps as strategically minded as he used to be. Age has a way of diminishing you. Amen? Joshua could have easily said, This fellow's past his prime, out he goes. But he didn't. He said, That's God's man. And when God is ready to move Moses out of leadership, God will do it. Until that day comes, I will be loyal to him. I will be faithful to him. I will speak for him. I will defend him. And he did. Let me give you some teaching points here as we look at this. Every good leader knows he's dispensable. Every good leader knows there will be a time when he will lead and there will be a time when he no longer will lead. We're all dispensable and we're all expendable. No exceptions. A good leader knows that he will lead for a season. That season can be months, it can be years, it can be perhaps decades. But every good leader has a season that is given to him by God in which he is called of God to accomplish a purpose. He's called by God to perform a mission. And when the purpose is fulfilled, when the mission is completed, when the season is over, God steps him down and steps another up. Therefore, a good leader is always looking for someone who will take his place. He's always preparing those that are behind him for the day that one of them might step in his role, his place. You know, we don't like to think about that, do we? There will come a day when Roger Carter will no longer be our deacon chairman. There'll come a day when Shelton Brunson will no longer be our stewardship chairman. Two remarkable men who have done amazing jobs. There'll come a day when Keith won't lead the music anymore. There'll come a day when Norman won't be our educational director, our mission director anymore. There'll come a time when this entire staff will no longer be here. And yes, there will come a time when I will not be here anymore. God has called us here for a season. And when the mission is accomplished and the purpose is fulfilled, God will graciously and mercifully move us down and out and rise up somebody else to come in and take our place. That's the way it is. Moses knew that and Joshua knew that. We're looking at why God would choose Joshua to be the next leader of Israel and the people. We're looking at why Moses would feel comfortable choosing Joshua to fill his role and his position. 
Well, it was because Joshua was a man of convictions. He knew what he believed. He was a man of courage. He would stand for it. He was also a man who was a good follower. He understood the economy of how God works. God rises men and God brings men down. God sets them high and then God sets them low. And God makes the call. But thirdly, Joshua understood he was not a Moses. Now you may not think that's much. I'm telling you, that's a big statement. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 2, we read these words. Moses, my servant, is dead. This is God speaking to Joshua. Therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all the people, unto the land which I give to them, even to the children of Israel. With the change of leadership came a change of purpose and a change of mission. Moses was like a snowflake. He was one of a kind. Joshua was like a snowflake. He was one of a kind. You and I are like, help me, snowflakes. We are one of a kind. God does not make clones. God does not make replicas. God does not make duplications. The Creator God, when he made you and I, only made one of us. And then he broke the cast. There's only one of you. There's only one of me. I'm better at being me than I am at being you. You're better at being you than you are being me. We need to understand that. Joshua was not Moses. And he knew that. God had called Moses and equipped Moses to be a peacetime leader to the people that he led. Let me say that again. God had called Moses, equipped Moses, energized Moses, empowered Moses to be a peacetime leader. But now the time for peace was over. God said it's time to cross the Jordan River. You wouldn't do it 40 years ago. But now is time. And the man that must lead you across the Jordan River must be another man. He must be a man for wartime. He must be a new leader. Now, I realize that Moses had some conflicts that he had to work through in his leadership. But by and large, Moses' position, his purpose, his mission for God in those years, 40 years that he led the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, was basically to make a ragtag bunch of people into a nation. He established the laws by which they would live the civil laws, the criminal laws, the moral laws, the spiritual laws. He gave the people law so there wouldn't be anarchy. He gave them a leadership model to follow. With the help of Jethro, his father-in-law, he established a pyramid of leadership. He also 
established unity and harmony among the people. Those Israelites were a difficult people. They loved to argue all the time and fuss and fight and criticize and gripe and complain. Got some of their cousins still alive today. And Moses, he worked hard at bringing unity and harmony to this massive group of people. He established a police force to keep security inside. He established a military presence to have an, uh, to protect the, the people from an external force. For 40 years, Moses worked on taking a bunch of people who didn't know nothing about government, who didn't know nothing about law, who didn't know nothing about policing themselves, who didn't know nothing about defending themselves, who never could get along. He poured 40 years of his life into making them a nation. He was a peacetime leader. But God said the time for peace is over. Take the land. And Joshua was called of God and prepared of God to be a wartime leader. He would cross the Jordan River. He would take on all 31 warrior tribes and defeat every single one of them. He would take on the giants and bring them down to their knees and take their heads off their shoulders. He would defeat the enemies that stood in the path of Israel. He would tear down their fortresses. He would seize their spoils. He would set their captives free. He would announce the coming of the Lord. He was a wartime general. He was not called of God to build a nation. He was called of God to expand the nation and give them what God wanted to give them, which was the land of promise. Have you ever thought about the difference between Moses and Joshua? Moses was a statesman. He was a diplomatic type person. He believed in trying to talk through things. Though he was not articulate, though he was not eloquent, he believed you try diplomacy first. Joshua was a soldier. He was a warrior. He was a man of few words, but he carried a big sword. Moses was a builder. Joshua was a battler. Moses was more concerned about the day-to-day administration of the people. Joshua was a visionary who saw what God wanted them to have, and he was going to get it. Moses was thoughtful and deliberate, a man who moved with caution. Joshua was a take-charge person. He was aggressive. He moved very quickly when he knew what he wanted to do. Moses was a man who believed in waiting on God. He was a man of prayer. Joshua was a man who believed when you get the green light from God, you go for it. You don't fool around. You get God's blessings on the run, on the march, you might say. Now, I want to go back to what I originally said as we looked at this point. Joshua understood who he was. 
and what God's calling on his life was and what his purpose and mission was to be. He was not called. He was not called to be Moses. He was not called for peacetime. He was not called to fulfill the purposes and mission of Moses. He was called to a whole different season of work. One of the things that I find is many people have difficulty in being themselves. I see that a lot with pastors. Pastors are not secure in who they are. They don't understand who they are. They don't know what they believe. They don't know why they believe it. And so I see pastors all over our country who are constantly changing leadership models, who are constantly changing how they do things, that are constantly changing their plans, their programs. They're trying to catch the latest whim that comes by. God didn't make you or I to be anybody but us. Do you understand that? Understand who you are. Understand what God has called you to be, what God has called you to do, and do it to the best of your ability. You're not Jim Palmer, and I'm not you, and you're not them, and they're not you. Be who you are. Nobody is better at being you than you. Learn of yourself. Have confidence in yourself. Play to your strength and let God use you for His glory. Boy, that's just that good advice. You singers, don't be Keith. You're not a Keith. You preacher boys, you're not a Pastor Jim. Be yourself. God can use you for you. And Joshua understood that. He was a man of convictions and courage. He was a man who understood how to be a follower until God would promote him to be a leader. He was a man who understood who he was and what he was called to do. He didn't try to be anybody else. And then lastly, Joshua was a man who followed God's leadership. Now again, you might not think that's much of a statement to make. In Joshua 24, verse 15, he said, Choose you this day who you'll serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now I want you to listen to me very carefully. Joshua was a military genius. He was smart, he was skillful, He was excellent with strategy. He would be like General Douglas MacArthur or General George Patton. He would be like Napoleon or Alexander the Great. He would be like Hannibal or Caesar. He would be like Robert E. Lee or Ulysses S. Grant. I want you to understand, look at me. Joshua was a supreme commander of one of the finest militaries of his day. He was a man who understood military strategy and understood how to use his men and his resources and his weaponry to full advantage. But he never let that go to his head. 
He never allowed his ego, his talents, or his skills go ahead of what God told him to do. Let me say that again. He never let his ego. He never let his smarts. He never let his skills. He never let his strategic understanding of the battlefield go ahead of what God said. He always followed God's leadership. Let me give you some examples. Remember the, the battle of Jericho? We've got some military men here. If you were the general leading the army of Israel against the fortress city of Jericho, would you lead with the marching band? Israel had a marching band. Maybe it was a color guard of some type. And God said to Joshua, I don't want you to lead with the special forces. I don't want you to attack the city with your artillery catapults. I don't want you to bring your armor in of chariots. I don't want you to send your spy. I don't want you to do any of that. Get the marching band. Tell them to play Amazing Grace and march them around the city and do it for seven days. This is one of those things I'd like to see when we get to heaven. I'd like to get a picture of Joshua's eyes. I can almost see him pulling his ear. What? Say that again, Lord. You want the marching band, the military marching band, to lead the assault on this city. You got it. And he did it. Even though it went against everything he believed in as a military general, he said, God, you know what you're doing. I always don't. And of course, we know what happened. God used the military marching band to be his instrument to bring down the walls of Jericho and give the army of Israel a great victory. And then God said something else to Joshua. He said, when you attack these tribes these vicious, violent tribes that are in the land, I want you to kill them all. Not just the leadership, not just the military, I want you to wipe them all out. Now many people who don't know the Bible and many people who want to criticize God, they bring that up. How could God order that? And maybe Joshua didn't understand that. Lord, you want me to kill these women and these children? Along with these leaders and these soldiers, you want me to kill... The civilian population. And God said, that's what I want you to do. And Joshua did it. Now your question might be, why would God order that? It's because those people were infested with demons. Those people were infected with disease. They were mentally deranged. They were emotionally dysfunctional. They were spiritually dark. And God looked at them and said, they will not change. And if I allow my people to capture them and integrate them into our society, they will destroy us. So God said, you're not to bring any of them in as prisoners. You're not to bring any of them in as a population to integrate with us. 
If you do, they will bring their demons. They will bring their depravity. They will bring their darkness. They will bring their derangement. They will bring their dysfunction. And they will destroy you. And Joshua did what he was told. Joshua was told, when you attack the five kings, when you attack the five kings at Gibeon, five tribes that decided they would come together and, and, and oppose Joshua and the children of Israel, God said to him, before you march, before I hold the sun in place, you allow me to pound them with heavenly artillery. Joshua said, I didn't know you had any, God. <laughs> God said, I do. And God unleashed the hailstones from heaven on those five kings and their armies and totally decimated them. And then he sent in the children and the army of Israel to do the mop-up. Now you may not think, again, this is a big deal, but I'm telling you, Joshua was a military man. And none of this really he understood from just a military perspective. But he understood what God said. And he understood that God's ways are not our ways. And God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And when God gives an order, you do it. Joshua gave the orders, but he received the orders from God. Now, I have noticed that many of you have been listening very good. And I know what some of you are thinking in closing. Pastor, I thought this sermon was supposed to be on Moses. I thought it was supposed to be on how men and women formed a circle around Moses and each one touched his life in such a way that it influenced him and impacted him and made him who he was and allowed him to do what he did and put him in God's Hall of Fame. But Pastor, all you've done is talk about who? Joshua. Pastor, maybe you're getting old and not remembering what in the world you're doing. Well, I am getting older, but I know exactly what I'm doing. You see, you're right. I have talked a lot about Joshua. But one of the things that made Moses great was he allowed men, he allowed women, who were totally different than him in so many ways, get close to him. And he listened to them. And he worked with them. And together they blended themselves to be used for the glory of God. Because as we look at Moses and Joshua, even though they both walked with God, they were entirely two different people. And one of the things that we sometimes like to do, we like to surround ourselves with a bunch of yes people who are just like us. Now, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want, but you're missing so much when you don't have diversity. And Moses understood, I don't know everything. I, don't, I can't do everything. I need to surround myself with people who may not be like me. They may not think like me. They may not talk like me. They may not act like me. But they love God. And I can work with them. And Joshua was one of them. Great leaders know how to mesh people together. 
though they be entirely different than themselves. You know what made General Dwight Eisenhower the great general he was, and later the great president he would become? Was in World War II, he was given a cast of characters called generals. And he was asked to take those generals, some who had egos as big as the state of Texas, some who were colorful as a rainbow, some who were hard-headed as a Georgia mule, some who were know-it-alls and done-it-alls and wanted to argue with him on every single decision he made. He was to take the De Gaulle's of France, the Montgomery's of Britain, the Patton's and the Bradley's of America, every one of these great generals, but every one of them different, every one of them egotistical, colorful, aggressive, passive, and he was to win war with them. As General Eisenhower had fired every one of them. But he was smart enough to know he needed them. And he brought them all together. And with the touch of a diplomat and a statesman, he used each one of those generals to accomplish God's work for God's glory. And you see, that's what Moses learned to do find the best he could find, bring them in, allow them to influence and impact him and make him the man who he would be and help him to do the things that he knew God wanted him to do. And that's why Moses is in God's Hall of Fame. May we pray. Heads are bowed and eyes.